Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And today I have a different kind of guest. My guest today is brand new to the startup world. He's just starting to get a clear vision of an MVP to put out into the market after months of engaging with potential customers around product market fit. He's a dentist by trade, a real estate investor on the side, and he's looking to help small portfolio property owners find good quality property managers. So without further ado, Gary Tong, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Cynthia. You're it's a welcome. To be here. You're welcome. All right, so why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself and how did you become an entrepreneur? Like what about this sounded like a good idea? So, I was I'm originally from New York and I was you know, born and raised there and I guess I've just been surrounded by entrepreneurship. My parents are entrepreneurs. They have their own laundromat business and ah. had a couple and I kind of been around that my whole life but they you know they wanted me to go in a direction that was not not hard working as theirs so <laughs> so they up, said go like, to medical school and become a dentist <laughs> yeah the typical <laughs> the typical Asian route of try get good grades play the violin and then get into a good college and try to get into like a med school or law school or astronaut school whatever <laughs> so i wound up being a dentist took a while actually went got my master's degree worked in a bio lab for five years and then went back to dental school became a dentist and then i kind of realized you know what maybe my dream my goal is to to be an entrepreneur yeah so took a while but finally kind of made the decision to to start this journey. Yeah. And then I met you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still play the violin? No, not at no? all. Were you good Gave at it? Gave that up a long time ago. In high school, yeah. <laughs> first first chair. Nice. You know, whatever that means. But no, I gave that up a long time ago. Nice. I, so in fourth grade, I played the violin for six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, God bless my mom because she never told me I was terrible at it. She just told me, keep practicing, keep practicing. And at the end of six weeks, I was like, this is not getting any better and I don't like it. And she was like, okay, great. Then you should stop. And I did. <laughs> Same thing happened for me with the guitar. I played the guitar oh, for yeah. <laughs> probably about the same amount of time. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't think this is for me. <laughs> Let me do the violin, which is so much yeah. harder than guitar. <laughs> yeah. And so much cooler. And so much cooler. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it got me so little chicks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So despite your parents urging to go into something, let's let's say, more stable, and put that in quotes, 
you know, you, you do have that, right. You are a dentist, um, which, yeah. which does gives you, which does give you a good income and it gives you a good career while you're pursuing this startup y thing. But I mean, here you are, right? So it, you know, it, is there a generational thing to entrepreneurship? Do you think, I mean, does that make it more accessible and easier for you? Do you think than other people who maybe didn't have that example? I mean, I don't think so. I can't describe it. I don't know if it's, I don't know. What do you mean by generational thing? Meaning like, so, um, so like, for example, more people are doctors who have doctors in their family than people who don't. Because it's like, it's such a big thing to overcome and such a big thing to do that it's easier to see yourself doing it if you see someone else do it who you know, and you know, you can sort of like get who they are, right? So I want, I wonder hmm. if like, entrepreneurship is easier or more in your bones if you've grown up around it. Is that something you've seen? Hmm, it's a great question. I I mean, my mom owned her own business for a lo- a large part of the time when I was younger. You know, it wasn't until I was probably in fifth or sixth grade that she actually went to work for someone else. Um, I think she burned out. Um, I definitely hear uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, I didn't grow up with people who were entrepreneurs and, and a lot of those have like a professional degree or something like that. But then they marry someone who, ha- you know, their family are entrepreneurs or they have like a best friend who is that they get to know in college or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess based on, you know, my own childhood and how I grew up, I mean, I would say no. I mean, I, I was surrounded by my parents who were, you know, entrepreneurial, but they sheltered me a lot from that lifestyle. And they oh. wanted me to like study and get good grades and not be in the laundromat. So, although I was there, you know, sporadically, I don't, I don't know if it rubbed off on me, but I don't think so. It wasn't until I was just way older and I, was, and I kind of felt it for myself that I'm like, I think this is what I want to do. All right, I, I like that. So, tell us about what you're working on right now. Yeah. So, as you know, we, you know, when I first, when we first met. When we first started, it was a whole different idea. And I've, <laughs> I've had so many ideas, uh, even before we met. Um, but the whole journey, the whole kind of like journey of different ideas and pulling from different areas of my life and pulling from what I know and what, what pained me mm. got to the point where, as, you, as I told you one day, it was like a, an oh shit moment of... <laughs> This is what I, this is what hurts me. And Mm. it was the process of trying to find a property manager for the real estate uh, that, that me and my cousin manage. Mm. And it was such a, such a process that, you know, I was just thinking, is there something that exists that could make that process simpler? Yeah. What it what is it about that process that's so painful? Do you think? It's I think it's the unknown, like mm. giving. First of all, kind of giving your property over to somebody else, letting them control it, mm. and you know, finding the right personality or people. So for me, because I was leading that. Uh, process it was just interviewing so many people and then kind of narrowing it down and in- interviewing some more and trying to see which person would work would work well and and even then you're signing a contract and you're ho- hopefully 
you're seeing if that relationship works out well. Yeah. So it, it was a tough process to n- navigate, um, like just trying to pick the right one, which yeah. you don't ever know if it's the right one until you start working with them. Yeah. And for most people who are in the in the kind of realm that you are trying to solve for, which are the smaller portfolio people, right? So I have two or three houses in a market or something like that. One, it's a lot harder to find those people, those property managers who want that small business. But it's also a lot bigger portion of your overall net worth, your wealth in those cases, I feel like. And so handing that to someone that you don't know can feel pretty risky, right? Like, here's this thing that I'm using to build my wealth and maybe half my wealth or three quarters of my wealth is sort of wrapped up in it. Please treat it well and please put good people in there. <laughs> you right. know? Right. There, there, there's a lot of concerns when when you hand over something like that. And I've heard, I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories about property managers that just run run off with their money and it's not, you know, Ugh. just going off the face of the earth. So it's oh definitely a nerve wracking process. So trying to find a good credited one was difficult when you don't know where to start. Yeah. So what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur so far in your journey? So many. So many. <laughs> um, most important. I mean, can I give you top three, I guess? Yeah, please. Let's do it. Um, do something that you know or that is a part, as a part of your life. Because I think mm. not only for your, your benefit, because then you'll stay motivated. I think a lot mm. of people, if you're trying to eventually sell what you're doing or pitch what you're doing, a lot of people kind of feel that authenticity that is coming mm. from a part of your life yeah. as opposed to I'm just trying to hang out and meet friends and drink beer. You know, like <laughs> everybody wants to do that. Um, that's that's an important one. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of another one. And what was the question again? It was... Uh, most, most important, important lesson. lesson you've learned, yeah. <clears throat> anything about the product market fit process or anything like that? that oh, right. right. Um. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you theplug-agency.com that's theplug-agency.com click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer yeah the, the problem that you think you're solving might not be the problem you think you're solving <laughs> <laughs> say more about that that's really good uh, yeah you know, I, I come up with a problem and I think it's the problem, but until it's in the hands of the people that need a problem solved, then that might change. And if it changes, then that's okay. And you have to be okay with that. You have to accept that. 
and not be too stubborn or hard-headed that the, this is how I want how I want it to be solved. You just kind of yeah. have to like let that go. Yeah, I love that. I love that. What are, what do you what do you think some of the most important learnings are? Well, I mean, I think it's different for everyone. It's it's dependent on the journey that you've taken, right? It depends on your background. Um, but the the thing that I always say to every founder that I work with is your company isn't over until you say it is. And so for most people, the thing that makes the difference between making it or not making it is just do you keep going? Um, and some people get to a point where they realize either, you know, like you said, that they don't have a compelling enough problem and they either decide that means they're going to stop altogether or it means they have to pivot. But the ones that keep going and keep pivoting and keep listening to customers and keep pivoting and keep making tweaks, those are the ones that are ultimately successful because you can't be successful if you stop. Um, but mm. but only you can know if continuing to move forward is the right thing is the right thing or not, right? I mean, nobody can tell you that. Um, so for me, it's stick to itiveness, perseverance. Like you got to keep going. That that's like that's the big one. And I'm uh, and I'm gonna guess you ran into those people that ultimately kind of just I don't want to say give up, but just stop pursuing. Yeah. And not that. I want to know too much, but how does that feel like? <laughs> it must be hard. For me or for them? For them. Oh, yeah. It's very hard. I mean, imagine like you've spent, a f you know, years of your life raising a child and then it dies. You know, mm -hmm. that's probably a lot more dramatic in some ways and a lot more painful in certain emotional ways. But the emotional pain of giving up something that you spent years of your life and potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars of either your own money or investors' money or both, just giving that up and setting it down and walking away, it's incredibly painful for most people. You know, there there's mm -hmm. a lot of time a sense of freedom, you know, because like, oh my gosh, this thing I've been slogging and, and maybe the slog was wrong or maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't the right company for them to be building. I mean, we uh, talked to one of my past clients and now a very good friend of mine, William Lupesco, a few weeks ago, and his first, his first startup failed. Um, he was building a consumer uh, product in the pet tech world and trying to his his fundraise his his next round of fundraising landed at the beginning of covid and this was a product about people traveling with their pets and nobody was going anywhere for we didn't know how long and uh you know i think there was a lot of other things that that contributed but he finally decided to set it down and as freeing as it was it was also very painful you know it was nearly a million dollars put into that business when when he set it down and that's it's hard to give up on something that you know he spent six and a half almost seven years working on it's hard to put that down and it, and it can mm. be very painful and it can hurt and and you know the thing that I think people miss is they don't grieve right like they don't they don't actually see it for what it is and and grieve it in the way that they need to so that they can move on so um so yeah I think I mean I think I think it's really tough I think it's really really tough yeah, I was at, I was about to bring him up. Actually, I've listened to that episode multiple times. Yeah, and I can hear you know the disappointment and pain 
in his voice and a little bit of free, uh, you know, kind of freedom also. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but you know, I YouTubed him, I listened to that podcast and yeah, he put a lot of work and effort into it and yes, he did. Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, he really did and I I think he really loves what he's doing now, so it it's it's worked out. Um <clears throat> and and William's the kind of person that like he's going to keep going and he's going to find a thing and he's going to be successful at it because he just, he has that perseverance. He just recognized that pup tech wasn't, it wasn't what does, what needed his perseverance. Like there wasn't, he wasn't getting enough wins. You know, the wins can be small, but you got to have some wins to feel like you can keep going, you know, because otherwise you're just, just slogging uphill and that's really, really hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. So. One one thing I I kind of wanted to know from that from that episode was was there anything in hindsight mm. that that could have like made him think a little bit more? Mm. You know, I, I I we did a whole post mortem, uh, and I don't know if that's the one you listened to or if you listened to the precursor episode, but yeah. Um, I think the thing that he would tell you is that if he if he knew at the beginning of his journey what he knew at the end, he would have gotten a co-founder that was a mechanical engineer, like someone who knew the hardware side, because that was the biggest drain of resources, money, time, energy, getting it wrong so many times that, um, you know, investors were frustrated and and customers were frustrated and that was a big part of the reason why it took so long for him to get to market and get some traction. And if that had gone differently, if he had had a co-founder who knew the hardware side of the world, it would have gone differently. And that may have changed PupTech's whole trajectory. You know, that that's I, I'm putting words in his mouth, right, just based right. on all the conversations that we've had. Um, but I can tell you that his experience now having a co-founder has really changed his how he engages in the process i would say um and the great thing is his skills and and his co-founder skills are just really really perfectly aligned so that they both have skills that the other one doesn't and it and it's working really well you know and that's not to say that everyone should have a co-founder you know there's lots of people who have been successful being solopreneurs or uh, being a solo founder and hiring teams and whatever but you know, I think I think that comes down to like knowing yourself, right? And mm -hmm. understanding what do I do well and what do I not do well and are those things I can learn or are there things that I could hire or are those things that I might need a co-founder for, you know? Yeah. And yeah. what was he a solopreneur non-technical like myself? <laughs> yes, he was as a matter of fact. He uh through the pub tech journey actually taught himself how to code because he realized how much money he was going to have to spend. Mm -hmm. um, he actually built most of the first few prototypes of the actual hardware device. So yeah, he, he was fairly non-technical. I mean, he was, a, he was a geologist, right? He knew rocks and earth. That's right. That's um, right. So yeah, so, so, so as a non-technical founder like yourself, um, what is it about technology that is interesting to you? Like, why was that a pull? So I realized this probably 
five or six years into my career as a dentist, I that I wanted to reach more people. I wanted mm. to affect more people than you know my skills as, as a dentist in a small community. Yeah. And technology allows people to do that. Yeah. You know, you can affect more lives or affect, you know, do more things with technology than than what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I granted, yes, I help people. Um, but I I I, I kind of had that idea to to wanted to do more. Yeah, I love that. What do you think is is um, an important like personality trait or characteristic that someone needs to have to be able to do this entrepreneur thing? Like, what does it really take? First, I said, no, you don't need anything. I take that back now. <laughs> I take that back. I think, you know, one needs to have humility mm. and the just being able to, like, not know what you're doing. So mm. not not being the smartest person in the room because, you know, you, you're going to have ideas. You're going to have thoughts and you're going to you're going to say it to other people and you're going to you're going to get feedback, you're going to get criticism, you're going to get you're going to get a lot of things. And just being able to take it all in and just seeing for seeing it for what it is. Yeah. I think that's what you, I think that's what you need cuz then that will help you learn and grow and pivot and get to a point where you'll be able to build something that people want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. One of the things about you that I think is really cool. So a lot of times when I'm working with people through the precursor process and the roadmap and product market fit and all the things that we've been doing, they'll say, well, you know, we get to the point point where they have to like find real people to talk to. And they'll say, well, how do I do that? I don't know that you've ever asked me how to find people like you will say, okay, there's this conference in Kansas with like all these people. And I'm thinking I'm going to go talk to some folks, help me design an interview. And I'm like, heck yeah. Or you'll say, I know people. Or I remember one time you were like, I walked into a bar and I heard these three women sitting at the bar who were like chatting about something. And I, this might be when we were still back in the dentist world. And you were like, yeah. hey, would you guys mind if I just talk <laughs> to you and ask you some questions about something? And like you're you're super brave when it comes to just like talking to people and and asking for opinions and like getting into people's minds i think that's awesome i wish i could give that to people yeah. <laughs> well see the thing is i yeah i have good ideas until i until i actually get there and the, the, the thing that you know you and you know your listeners need to know also about me is that i'm quite introverted at the same time mm. so yeah i mean like i'll i'll go to kansas and i did go to kansas and you know i kind of sat at the bar and just kind of waited until the conference you know people kind of came out and it took took some courage it took some nerve to still be able to talk to them because you know i'm these are people that are quite well situated in the industry and i'm kind of just mm. starting to get in so you know i'm still nervous at the same time but mm. i'll go <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's it take to overcome the nerves? I mean, do you have a shot before you do it? Or are you like, <laughs> do you like tell yourself something? You have like a mantra or something? Or is it just sort of like dive in? I mean, I I'm kind of an introvert myself. Um, and and I've heard this new definition of introvert, which I introvert, extrovert, which I really, really like, which is that 
it's not that introverts aren't social and it's not that we can't talk to people. It's not that we don't even like talking to people. Like I love people, right? I mean, my job is coaching entrepreneurs. I love people. The difference is extroverts like my husband re-energize with people and introverts re-energize alone. So like for me, I can go be social for a whole day and I can do coaching and I can speak on a stage and I can do the podcast, like I can do all those things, but I then need downtime by myself to regroup and to gather my energy back and to feel like myself again, right? So, so for myself, you know, when I'm in those situations, my motivation is if me being uncomfortable and having a conversation that stretches my my comfort zone out or, or goes outside of my comfort zone means that one more entrepreneur might get what they need and might be more successful and might have an easier time, I will do it. Like that's my motivation, right? So so how do you do that? And then for you, what's your motivation? So yes, I'm similar to you. And, what we, and, and the term I heard recently is that we are ambiverts. <laughs> what does that mean? Introverted and extroverted together, ambiverts. Okay, okay. What I heard. <laughs> Making up words, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess in in, un, in uncomfortable circumstances, you know, if it's it's always helpful to you know be able to be at a bar or because um, they're you know you're sharing some commonality of drinking and kind of just having fun. You know, if you're in a office or conference type setting, it's a little more difficult for me, you know, because I'm, you know, I like to find some sort of commonality between Mm. who I'm talking with. Um, So sometimes it's very difficult, but the overall, like for me, I know the overall goal is in order to develop that courage, I like, I have to do it. Like, yeah suck it up <laughs> and just <laughs> and just do it and then there's not much more that you know one can really tell themselves but if it's just you guys gotta do it i mean like i don't know <laughs> so nike had it right <laughs> just do it <laughs> correct yeah <laughs> oh, that's funny do you think it's possible this is a little bit of a loaded question but do you think it's possible to be more introverted and be a little bit, you know, less socially outward and be a successful entrepreneur. You know, because I I think I think when we think of people like um, you think of Steve Jobs, right? I would hypothesize that he probably was very much an introvert, but he was so dynamic and he was so confident about what he was doing. Right. And you know, it's it's very common to think the most gregarious, outgoing, biggest personalities in the room are the ones that are going to be the successful ones. But I'm not sure that that's always true. And I wonder what you think about that. No, I don't think there's an always. You know, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, you don't know about or I don't know about or anybody knows about that are kind of just living that quiet life. I mean, the the one that came to my mind when you were asking that is, you know, the people that founded Google, you know, what, Ser- Sergey Brin and... Yeah. Right? I, I, I've never heard anything about his outside lifestyle or even, in, you know, even being a part of Google. So yeah. I can only, get, only guess that he's an introvert, but I think it, and being an introvert and being successful is definitely possible. 
And how much do you think, this is kind of a weird question, how much do you think extroverts use entrepreneurship as like a platform for becoming famous, and I'm going to put famous in quotes, versus actually being engaged in the business of being, of building a business? Interesting question. It makes me think, so I, you know, we talked about Michael Seibel. We talked about Y Combinator. Yeah. And he, he has a term for those kids. They're called scenesters, or he calls them scenesters. People oh. that are doing people that are doing entrepreneurship to be cool. So yeah, definitely I think there are people out there that think it's cool to be a part of a startup or do a startup without actually having the drive to to do mm. it all the way. Yeah, it's interesting because like so in Denver, we have Denver Startup Week and a lot of cities have something that's like Startup Week, you know, in their city Austin has something nashville has some i mean they're 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 all over the place so this isn't like a new concept but what's interesting is it the number of people who attend and who are in that realm like you said like they want to be they want to be around people and they're whatever who actually aren't building anything and and like i'll be i've sat at seminars and sessions that are about how do you build sales teams and how do you do this or how do you know how do you find product market fit or whatever and I'll be sitting next to somebody just kind of chatting before it starts. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't. I I'm ne- I would never be brave enough to be an entrepreneur. But I find this so cool. And, like, I love being around these people. And I'm just like, really? I mean, I guess it's the equivalent of, like, groupies in the music world, right? Like, yeah, they're like, yeah. oh, I'm not a musician. But, God, I love being around them. And you're just <laughs> like, really? Why? I mean, what is it? <laughs> I mean, you could be right. The other perspective is, is that. I've kind of wanted to go out of curiosity. Like this mm. was way before, you know, I met you. And this was like me kind of just wanting to like see what that world is about. And yeah. it's almost like a, for me, if I had gone, it was almost like kind of seeing like if I could do it. So mm. yeah, I'm interested in it. And it's probably maybe there's some, you know, dream of theirs to to, to do that one day. And they don't have the skills or courage or whatever. But yeah, I think maybe that that could be another possibility. Interesting. Do you think it takes courage to do this? I think so. Why do you think that? Well, for me, it's it was a lot of not knowing what I was getting myself into, and that's mm. scary. Yeah. And for me, if I'm, you know, for uh, you know, fear is a mental block. Yeah. So it takes a lot of courage to, you know. Uh, try or do something that is very unstructured and, and, and like dental school is a school and yeah. you know or i know at the end of four years i'll graduate and there's a program there's a system in place and entrepreneurship or at least, at least tech entrepreneurship there's no yeah. end yeah <laughs> so there's no end yeah it's forever so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a lot of like how do I get into it? What happens? Like, there's it's such a dark cloud, and it's hard to see through that. And if if it wasn't meeting you, I would still stuck, you know, be yeah. stuck in that, not knowing where to or how to get in. That is such an interesting perspective, and it's so true. And I've never looked at it that way. But you're right. You know, even even you know, medical school, being a, becoming an attorney, getting a business degree, like 
there's things that you do. Eventually you will you will graduate. You will be able to get a job and do that thing, but there's like a path, right? And the thing that I always say that I find so interesting about being an entrepreneur is no two journeys look alike. Now, that's not to say that you and every other person that you went to dental school with and then your trajectory after that and everything that that all those look alike either, but you all knew what you had to learn, you knew what classes you had to take, you knew the kind of material, you knew what tests you were gonna, like you knew each of the things that you had to, I'm gonna say each of the hurdles that you had to overcome in order to get there. And the thing about being an entrepreneur is you have no idea. I mean, I'm on my sixth startup and this is totally different than every other one I've built in terms of the hurdles we've had to overcome or have not yet overcome have been very different than in the past. Right. It's like so it's just really interesting because I've never thought about it that way because we have a process for product market fit. Like you've been to product market fit school now. You know what that looks like and you know what those steps are. And that, you know, that's what we're putting into the precursor platform is the first piece of that. But the reason that we call it a journey is because where you get hung up and where you get stuck and where you where you figure out you have to pivot and go back or, or change direction it's gonna be different for everybody. Like, I can't tell you that. So that that's really, really an interesting perspective. I love that. I mean, like, how do your other clients, like, how do they find you? Like, I'm going to guess that a lot of them are like me, where they don't know where to start. And yep. they don't know what to do. Yep. And, you know, it's just it's just the, like a maze of, okay, now what, you know, what do I do? Like, who do I talk 100%. to? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so many people come, you know, find me or get referred to me or whatever. And they're like, okay, I have this idea. I want to build this app or this this website or this software product or whatever it is. And the crazy part is a lot of them have built businesses before. Right. So not everybody is brand new who I'm working with. I mean, I'm working with a group right now that's building a healthcare app. And he built and sold a huge national blood testing lab. Right. Like he's not new to business at all. But when we he was like, I'm not really sure what to what to do. Like, I do, I'm not sure what to do. And I'm like, we got to go talk to some people and figure out what their problems are. And he's like, oh, sure. <laughs> like, right, right. So and and I'll say, you know, I, this is my six precursors, my sixth startup that, I, that I'm building. And we started from the beginning. I mean, there's also no like shortcuts, right? It's not like, re I mean, the number of repeat tech entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs that I've worked with who are like, okay, I want to build this thing. And, and for some reason, like I just can't get traction the way that I did in my first venture or my last venture or whatever. And I'm, I'm like, well, have you talked to customers? Like, how'd you come up with this idea? Oh, right. I forgot about that part. Like, you know, because you get so far down the road where, where you're no longer building something you're running something and and it's easy to forget what got you there and some people do it organically and some people need a coach and some people just sort of stumble their way along and get lucky right <laughs> right i think that's what makes it so interesting and so confusing at the same time because you know with tech that is and you know you're trying to like solve a problem that may or may not exist as opposed yeah. to that guy with the blood testing lab or my parents with with the laundromat, you know, they're entrepreneurs too, and they built physical businesses that yes. are solving existing problems. Yes, and that 
you know, when I see them build their laundromat, you know, I, I get it. You know, you, you can build it. People will come. People need that service. Yeah. As opposed to building a tech service that yeah. that may or may not solve what you what you think, and that's where I think you need to kind of like be humble and try to like adapt to what the people really are looking for. That's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, fascinating. All right, so if you could give other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would it be? Start now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then I say that, and you know, I say that because we only have so much time, and mm. time is the limiting factor. And yeah. you know, would I have started fifteen, twenty years ago? Sure, I would have started. But we had this conversation before. Like, my problems twenty years ago would be so much different than my problems now. Yeah. And you know, twenty years ago, I was busy, like hanging out and going to clubs or whatever and i don't need an app for that or maybe i would have back then well now um, we have apps for that <laughs> true true but i think with experience with you know with this time like uh you know i've discovered a lot i've worked a lot and i you know came to a point where you know the problem that i'm trying to solve is relevant to me yeah so time yeah it's it's really it's time yeah. So start now and solve the problem that's in front of you. Yeah. 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 I loved when you, I love when you said that because you, you, I'm going back to earlier, but you said, you know, having knowledge of the thing, you know, whether it's the industry or the particular, you know, having experience with the problem you're trying to solve, it makes such a difference because you have a level of empathy for your users that I think, you know, I notice is missing in people that are like, I think this needs to be solved. And I'm like, okay, how how are you related to that thing? I don't know. I just see, I know people and they say that it's a big problem. So I'm going to go build a company around that. It's like, right. yeah, but you haven't experienced it. So you don't know what you're listening for and you don't have a lot of empathy for it the way you do when, like you said, you own property and you have struggled to find someone and you've struggled with that trusting someone that you don't know. And that makes it really different, not only when you're talking to people and understanding product market fit and how to build a product that works to solve the problem, but just in general, the anxiety and the the, the intense pressure and all the, all the things around it, right? Mm -hmm. And that empathy really is the, really can be the difference between building a great product that resonates for people or having a flop. And, and I, you know, that, that is a good point too, because in addition to humility, empathy is you, you need to have empathy because you're building something not for yourself. You're building for yeah. something for a group of people and you have to put yourself yeah. in, especially in my situation with two different groups of people, you have to put yeah. yourself in many different shoes in many different situations, many different, you know, income levels and, you know, all different types that it's, you know, it's, that's a quality I think is also good to have. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a statistic, and then I want you to tell me what you think about it, okay? Okay. All right. 42% of startups ultimately fail because no one wants what they're building. All right. Um, 
It makes me think of a lot of things. It makes me think that you need to listen more to your customers. Mm. Because if you said about 42% don't yeah. Yeah, use. Yeah, they fail. Yeah, because they, no one wants what they're building. They're building something that the market isn't asking for, the market doesn't need, the market doesn't want. Yeah, and that, and that kind of goes back to my point of, you know, build something, put it out there, and just tweak along the way. And you mm. have to tweak. And if you stay kind of too narrow, uh, tunnel-visioned or narrow-minded, mm. then you're setting yourself up for failure, mm. I, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, even the way I just said that about, you know, nobody wants what they're building, nobody needs what they're building, whatever. Technically, Steve Jobs built the iPhone, which nobody wanted either, like, but only because they didn't know. Right. And so there's a I think there's a difference between solving known problems and shifting paradigms. Right. The iPhone was a paradigm shift. Now, I'll be totally honest right now. I'm addicted to this dumb game called Clockmaker. Okay. And it's making me wish we were back in the days of pagers because this game is <laughs> sucking so much energy out of my life. And I'm like so addicted to it. Like last night, I literally was like, okay, I'm not playing for more than 30 minutes. I set a timer on my phone. And when the timer went off, I like closed the game because I was like, I cannot be up until 2.30 in the morning playing this damn thing. Right. But it's a paradigm shift. I mean, we went from connection and talking to people looking a particular way and yeah we had cell phones and that was you know it was just the next extension of a, of a cordless phone right but going from phone to handheld everything like handheld computer that was a paradigm shift and the phone is almost secondary to everything else that we do on our phones nowadays right yes correct me if i'm wrong iphone was not the first of its kind well, technically, you're right, because the Palm Pilot was actually the first of its kind, but it was not very good. Oh, I thought it was the Motorola Rocker Well, like that. I, you know, I don't even know. Like, but I, I, mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, could be, could be. It would be interesting. Well, I have to go look that up, but we don't remember that phone, right? We don't remember mm -hmm. Motorola. We remember the iPhone changed the game. Yes. But if you had asked people, and this is where product market fit is tough, right? Because if, if Steve Jobs had asked people, and by the way, he did, I because I, I've read a bunch of the materials, but if he had asked people, hey, I'm thinking about building a thing that's like a touch screen and it calls and you can do text messages, but it will also like connect you to the internet and your email and who knows, because I'm going to make it so that people can build other things for it to do the way that your computer does. People were very mixed about it. Like it wasn't a resounding yes until people had it in their hands and they saw the power of it. Mm -hmm. So there is as much as product market fit is about de-risking an idea as much as you possibly can before you spend a ton of time and money. There is inherent risk in being an entrepreneur, and it's your tolerance for that risk that will determine how far you go, how long you stick with it, right? Yeah. 
For sure. I don't know. Then then again, when you're Apple, <laughs> you can stick for <laughs> you can stick with it for a while. <laughs> if you're a small, you know, you know, entrepreneur or you know, small little startup, burning money is a is a is a thing. And, you know, <laughs> Apple probably didn't have that problem. <laughs> well, you're probably right about that. Although, although remember, there was a time when. Apple was sort of like the redheaded stepchild of of home computing, right? And and the thought that anybody could ever compete with Microsoft on a home computing level was crazy. Mm-hmm. And the reality is Apple's bigger than Microsoft now. And and they've done it through a lot of different avenues, but in, you know, revenue worldwide, Apple's bigger. True. I mean, they're Me- both they're both part of the four largest freaking companies in the world. So we're not, you know, it's not like they crushed them, but they they it took what forty some odd years for them to get there. You know, it makes me think that some products, or not, some, yeah, some products and some ideas are definitely successful due to contrarian thought, mm. like. And you know, I you know, I listen to as we, we t- as we spoke about like the pitch or entrepreneurial podcasts. Like some ideas, you don't want people to say, "Oh, that's all. That's a great idea." You want people to say, "Oh, that's a bad idea." Like Airbnb, that was a bad idea when people <laughs> when people first came up with it. Right, having strangers stay in your home. Yeah. So you know, I think having ideas that. People don't agree with it's also a good idea. If that makes sense. <laughs> so throw out the rule book. Is that what you're saying, Gary? <laughs> I mean, if people, I was saying, I think if, yeah, yeah. And, but if, and, if, and if people like it, people love it, then you move forward. Yeah. There's a, there's a documentary, I think uh, you and maybe your listeners would be uh, interested in seeing. It's on, I found it on YouTube, but it's, okay. it's how the Xbox got started it's a documentary about xbox okay and it was basically this small dev team in microsoft building something to compete with i believe it was playstation and they just did it for i think because they were some of like one of them or a couple of them were into gaming and they did it without telling bill gates and (laughs) And then, uh, I mean, you need to watch it. It's it's so okay. interesting of like how Bill Gates eventually got to the point of adapting it and and, and building sort of it. giving in, yeah, right, because he wanted to stay a software company. He wanted to stay uh, all software. He didn't want to be hardware. Interesting. And it, it led into this whole hardware. I mean, division, X- I guess. Xbox is one of the large. It, it, is it the largest gaming? platform i don't know do you know uh, yeah no. i don't know either that'd be it'd be interesting to okay all right i'll i'll find the link for that and i'll include it in the show notes for for okay. the, the episode <laughs> so you guys can i'll watch it and you guys can go listen to it as well all right so three podcasts books or resources that you'd recommend for for people in our audience who are either considering being an entrepreneur but have never pulled the trigger or people who are seasoned veterans and have done this several times or maybe in the middle of their first first adventure like you? Well, number one is The Pitch, which mm-hmm. is on Spotify. Uh, for seasoned or novice, it'll, you know, it, it's like 
Shark Tank, but better. Yeah. The the VCs on there actually give very constructive feedback and, you know, it's not as drama oriented. And, <laughs> um, and there's a lot of different like business models and that you can pull from a lot of different ideas. It's, it's one of, it's one of my favorite that I, I go back to and listen to again and again, just to get different ideas or different um, business models or something like that. Yeah, I totally, I agree that the pitch, if you are an entrepreneur who's going to start asking for money, binging all hundred episodes of the pitch will definitely gear up your mindset for where am I, where do I not have enough going on? in my pitch like where am I light on stuff that I need to be heavy on where am I reaching too far like it's it's literally being in the room real time and and watching how this process plays out it also will make you feel better if you get ghosted by or or you know an investor's like yeah I'm totally going to invest let's talk more and then that doesn't that doesn't actually happen uh it'll make you feel better about that because that happens a lot on the pitch and they explain why. There's like a exactly a couple months follow up, which which is nice, and yeah. they kind of just go through of like what happened and what didn't happen, and yep. and so on. The other one I would say is Y Combinator on YouTube has a lot of good. It's a good channel, a lot of good in- information, a lot of good stuff. Um, the one I gravitate towards is Michael Seibel, who uh, who's a part of Twitch and Social Cam and. The way, you know, when I listen to him, the way he talks is so much different than a lot of the other speakers that come from a engineering background. Mm. And I don't know why, but I can hear his advice a lot clearer than yeah. some of the engineers. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're you're a non-technical guy building a tech startup, right? True, and, true. <laughs> and to listen to... A bunch of techies who are like building cool stuff and then sort of I'm gonna use the word accidentally turning it into a startup that's a very different experience than being like okay I don't know anything about tech but I got this idea let's go see how this works and I think the thing that Michael Seibel does really well is he speaks to the non-technical technical founder mm. <laughs> he does it exceptionally well like really yes. really well yeah and um, yeah, and, and and for those of you who don't know, Y Combinator, one of the largest, uh, they're the second largest uh, accelerator program in the world, um, second only to Techstars. Um, they are very, they're considered the creme de la creme in the accelerator space. And they make more unicorn, they build more unicorn companies than any other accelerator in the world. They're they're actually phenomenal at it. Now, that said, so their unicorn rate is much higher than the average accelerator incubator program. Their failure rate is actually also higher than the average startup community. Um, because the reality is when you when you aim big, sometimes you miss really big too. So your chances, if you get into Y Combinator, very, very, very elite program, very difficult to get into. But if you do, your chance of success and big success, not, ju- not just like regular average success, your chance of very big success is much higher and your chance of a huge flop is also higher. So take that for what it's worth too. <laughs> All right, awesome. Two more. Yeah, go two ahead, more. please. Yeah, go, go, um, go, go. I love it. So... 
this is a more obsessive part of me, but I will YouTube search demo days. Oh. And like I would just watch people pitch their demos and granted it's all pretty formulaic on what they do, but it's it's interesting to me kind of just seeing how other people come up with solutions to different problems. Yeah, I love that. And then the last one is another podcast on Spotify, wherever you get podcasts from, but it's Mixergy. Mixergy. So, yeah, this is actually the first entrepreneurial podcast. Oh, actually, no. And the other, there's another good podcast. Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> um, there's one with Reed Hoffman. I forgot. Masters of Scale. Anyway. Okay. Mixergy is podcast about just startup stories. Yeah. And how people got into it and how they grew it and how they scaled it. And it's like, it's a very conversational type podcast on like random companies, just small companies that are doing well. So I think that's your, cool. your listeners might enjoy that. Okay, that's cool. All right, I'll include all of those in the show notes. So um, you won't have to look too hard to find anything, dear listener. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for, um, yeah, it's, it's been a great conversation. If listeners have questions or they'd like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way would probably be LinkedIn. Awesome. Or awesome. just contact Cynthia. Cynthia knows me, knows, can contact <laughs> me directly. Yeah, so I'll make sure to include uh, Gary's LinkedIn link so that you can connect with him and reach out to him there. And uh, if you do have questions or you'd like an introduction, um, I am happy to uh, take your email and, and chat with you a little bit before I before I pass you on. So that's startup at precursor.com. Gary, thank you again so much for joining us today. Of course, and, um, anytime. I'm looking forward to the next portion of your journey here. <laughs> doesn't end. Like I said, it doesn't end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. So thanks so much for joining us today, folks. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day -day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.